Welcome to Orpini. This is Aratova Beth. It, today is Chaf Sivan. It's a really hugely important day. And we want to see what Torah says about Chaf Sivan. The history, first of all, it's Rabbi Marlowe's yard site, 20th yard site. Um, Sivan is Matan Tyra, Rabbi Yehuda, Kalman, Marlowe, Elva Shalom. Don't know his father's name. Um... Chafsivan means Kesser of Tyra, the crown of Tyra. For sure, Rabbi Marlow is the crown of Tyra. And the question is, so how do we take such a day when the energy of the day is the crown of Tyra, the beauty of Tyra? So if we look into history, the reason that Chafsivan is a noteworthy day is because it was the first blood libel in the year 1171. And that's really significant. First of all, it became a fast day, but the history a little bit is, which really, really, really is significant because of what's going on on the streets now, is that the first blood libel kind of started in in Norwich, England, maybe almost 100 years before, but I don't know if it it, it, uh, it didn't, didn't manifest in the same way. And this one started, this one was the, the first of a series, Rahman of many, many, many that happened for several hundred years. And until I believe the last one was in the days of the Maharal of Prague, who worked tirelessly all his life to eliminate blood libels. Blood libels are the um, most... Blood libels are the most, Rahman you know, we say it so glibly, the, the absolute exemplification of a lie in its strongest form. Everybody knew when they were happening, it was based on the idea that somebody made up a story that uh, the Yidden before Pesach would, Rahman take the drain the blood out of a, a Christian child and use it for baking matzahs. Now, that's about, Rahman Rahman but of all the things to dream up to, as a lie, to try to target a whole Jewish community and wipe them out, God forbid, which is what happened time and time again, that's about the craziest. It's so because it has no basis in reality, it feels like it's um, what's going on now in the streets of the world and this whole idea of getting rid of police, it's so crazy. And the world is getting to such a crazy place that the idea that people can say things that are just insane that have no basis in reality, it seems to be happening in our world today. And it feels to me like some of it is rooted in what was happening in these very days because that first blood libel in that year in Blois, France, in 1171, that was, it it started just before Pesach with one individual, with one Yid that was next to a stream of water with one non-Yid who started the whole blood libel and went to his, the pirates, etc., or, you know, his, his land owner and 
They trumped up a whole thing. They themselves knew it wasn't true. Everybody knew it wasn't true. But the, the Jewish community, which is about 40, 50 families, it was a small community, did not know what was, know what was happening. It's just that the, the Yid who was involved, plus a couple of other people, the rub of the town, etc. When did it come out? And when did the chaos begin for the public? right after Shavuos. Now I'm saying that's pretty significant because look at what's going on now. When did the chaos in the streets begin this year, right after Shavuos? And all trumped up because of some, you know, put together because of some who knows what, but at least has some basis in, in some reality, but a whole Misha built up. But it's interesting that in these very, very, very days, Something like that was happening, only the miracle is that this is the first time probably in history that this kind of stuff was happening and it had nothing to do with the Yidden. And nobody was thinking about the Yidden. That's the miracle. Then, and all through Jewish history, and now, and today, and this year. And so this whole blood libel thing was back and forth and the... the, the the gala and all of that stuff. It was it was really horrifying. They decided they weren't going to just target one one yid. They decided they were going to target the whole community. Essentially, what happened on Chafsivan, the whole town it was decreed that the whole town had to go on Al Kiddush Hashem, and um, they were burned all together in one castle. Men, women, and children. Hayalotia. And they left the world singing. They were singing as they were burning. They were singing the words of Aleinu. They were singing with, I guess, with the tune that they would sing on Yom Kippur. And they were singing that, that tune. And they displayed the most unbelievable Kiddush Hashem. And, of course, before the fire was started, the Galach entered the, the, um, the castle that he had, put them in and offered them all release if they just, you know, gave up Judaism. And nobody did. They said, it's very simple. All you have to do is come over to our side and embrace our faith and give up your faith. It's a very simple thing. And um, you're, you're, you're free to go home. You can enjoy your day. You can enjoy your life. You're free to go home and save your family. And no one would do it. So this was, so Chav Sivan is a day of incredible Kiddush Hashem. You can say that that is a piece of the Keter Taira. The Kiddush Hashem, it's, it's, it, it's, when Taira itself is beaming because it's saying, look at the Jewish people. Look at the Jewish people who learn me the Tyra, they are my crown. Their connection to Hashem through me, to their connection to to Hashem and to me is so unbelievable. They are my crown, the crown of Tyra. So this idea that is brought out a lot by the Rebbe that um, the whole Tyra ends with the words Yashar Kaich Hashar Shibarta the whole Tyra 
ends with um, acknowledging that it's worth it to give up everything for a yid. This kind of revolution, it's, it's brought out by Chassiban. In other words, if we go back, when Maisha Rabbeinu saw that the Yidden were bowing to the eagle, were making a golden calf, he had to decide, what does he do? Whom does he favor, the Jewish people or the Torah? And he chose to break the Torah to save the Jewish people. And you would have thought, we would have thought that he should throw away the Jewish people because the Torah is holy. And he said, no, I'll throw away the Torah to save the Jewish people. And the end of the whole Chumash ends with that, that story. It says, Le'eni kol Yisrael. And Rashi says, Hashem says, good for you, my Shurbanu. You made the right decision. You got it. You figured out the secret of Tyra. You figured out that in this triad of myself, Hashem, and Torah, and the Jewish people, or myself, and then under me is the Jewish people and, uh, and, and Torah. Which one is higher? The Yidden, the Jewish people. Hashem says, you figured it out, my Shurbenu, and you made the right choice. Yashar Kaycha that you broke my Torah for the purpose of saving the Jewish people. So you could say, say that that is the crown. It's no, that's the crown of Torah. And it's no coincidence that if these Yidden went Al-Kiddush Hashem on Chaf Sivan, the crown of Tyre, because they are the crown of Tyre, and they did something that exemplified that they're the crown of Tyre. And of course, it's Rabbi Marlowe's Yorkite, who was extremely the crown of Tyre and lived that way. He lived Kiddush Hashem. And so the difference between then and now is, we're no, we, we, it's not considered a virtue to live to leave the world Al-Kiddush Hashem. Today we're capable of living Kiddush Hashem rather than dying Kiddush Hashem. And that is the shlichus of today. To live as the crown of Tyra rather than to leave the world and give a crown to Tyra. So let's, let's look into the sikha. The Magen of Ram writes that Nogim lis anas esrim besivan v'chol malchus kolon. It's a... It's a um, a minhag to fast on this day, on the 20th of Sivan, in all of, in Poland. Even though, Afal Pekin, our, the Chabad Rebbeim, did not do that. They did not fast. And the reason, of, of course, for the fast is because of that horrible Kiddush or that horrible situation of all those Yidden being taken. So the Magen of Ram says that in, the, in these countries, because of what happened in, as we said, 1171, it's a fast day. But Chabad did not fast. The Chabad Rebbeim did not have the Minhag to fast. By the way, one more historical perspective. The Rambam was, lived, I think, from 11... 1140 to 1215 or something like that. In other words, this episode that happened in this town of Blois, this, this Kiddush Hashem, this beginning of a whole series of few hundred years of Kiddush Hashem through blood libels, specifically through not just, not just we're not talking about Rahman Khan's crusades, which was, each one is another horror. 
And we're not talking about pogroms. Each one is another horrific horror. But we're ta- what we're talking about is a Kiddush Hashem that's brought on by a lie. And the lie is all built up, probably because they couldn't stand that we, re- we represent truth. So it's a unique kind of Kiddush Hashem standing up for truth when we're swimming, the whole world is swimming in a lie, which is kind of our situation now. And we're seeing that all over the now, these videos are popping up of people from every kind of community are standing up and saying, there are lies going around, and I'm going to stand up for the truth. So it's interesting that this happened. Interesting. You know, we say it was, I feel like I'm saying it so cold-bloodedly. But the fact is it happened in the lifetime, right smack in the middle of the lifetime of the Rambam. Rambam probably then was, again, he was born in, was it 1135? Something like that. You know, a, a grown man doing all, right in the center of doing all of his writings and everything that he did. And the thing about the Rambam is he's the foremost postdoc about Mashiach. He's the one who begins the era that ushers in Mashiach. So very unusual that it begins with this, with this kind of Kiddush Hashem that's not just regular Kiddush Hashem and not just the regular horrific Kiddush Hashem, but a Kiddush Hashem about the idea of what is truth and what is a lie. So therefore, because of this horrific Kiddush Hashem, Polish communities fast, we do not fast. Rabbeinu Nisienu did not fast even in the time when the Friedrich Rebbe was in Poland. And there were people who did fast at that time, but the Friedrich Rebbe did not fast. Why not? It's not in a way that there was something lacking. Oh, you know, we don't have to fast. But it's not in... Even by Rebbe saying, it's not that, that the Chabad Rebbeim didn't know about... They knew very well their whole essence is this issue of the truth and the untruth and the libels that try to destroy truth because of untruth. They know better than anybody about it. But Adarabha, the reason they didn't fast is they embraced the Mila, the advantage of it, through not fasting. They embrace the whole essence of the day and everything that the day represents. The day is a day, today is a day of Kiddush Hashem, the Rabin. Kiddush Hashem for the essence of truth. And the Kiddush Hashem of a Yid. A Yid is a beacon, a Jew is a beacon of light that walks around the world representing truth. And he can walk around on the streets in general, the shul, the rishut yachid, the private domain of a yid, in, is, is supposed to represent truth, Torah's emes. And the street tends to be a place that represents the opposite of truth, alma de shikra. So on Shabbos, when we go into our homes and we don't carry things from the private domain, our homes, to the public domain, it's partly because the private domain is a place of truth. And the public domain, um, um, you know, the world of truth, 
And the public domain is a place of Alma de Shikra, the world of lies, so far until Mashiach time, until full Geula. And it used to be, we know when we say the world of truth, we mean where Yidden go when they're no longer alive. So it's the same concept. But what we're saying is, what Torah is saying is, we need to live in the world of truth right now, right here, alive. And when the Jewish people tried to do that, the world was so angry. Because when somebody's trying to live a lie, the last thing they want is somebody walking around who's a representative of truth. That's for sure. So today is our day of truth. In the midst of all the chaos that's happening on the streets, today is the day of Kiddush Hashem for us, for truth. And today is a day when, and I'm sure that Rabbi Marlow, he's a a big piece of this. From where he, when he was in this world and where he is now, from the real world of truth, he's pumping the world with truth. And he's infusing us with the Kayach to... Um, bring the truth of Torah into the world so that we finally explode. We, uh, together with all good, well-meaning people, explode the lies that are proliferating in the world. So, so, sorry. So, how did our Rebbeim do it by not fasting? It's like the Mila of Purim over the Mila of Yom Kippur. In other words, on Yom Kippur, you want to be in total truth. It's a, it's a day of oneness. You want to be in that place of unity of truth. So you fast. You don't eat. And yet Purim is Yom Kippurim. Yom Kippurim is Kippurim. Purim is in a way higher than Yom Kippurim. And on Purim we eat and drink and do, <laughs> eat, drink, and be merry. So there's something deeply deeply spiritual, there's a deep profundity in that, in that we can achieve great holiness. One way is by avoiding the world, and another way is by being inside of the world and embracing the world. And so the Mile of Purim is, that's the way we achieve that holiness, by embracing the world. (coughs) Excuse me, and both are necessary. So by the Chabad Rebbeim not fasting today, they weren't ignoring it, God forbid. They were embracing the Kiddush Hashem that is in every moment of today by embracing the world, running into the world rather than running away from the world. And clearly they felt that Hashem is giving every Yid now the ability to run into the world with truth rather than run away from it. In those days in 1171, in the days of the Rambam, it was about 100 years after Rashi. Rashi lived in France. And I'm sure, I think Rashi understood that this was going to be coming. I mean, this was just after the Crusades. So it was one, one nightmare after another, after another, after another. That was just the way they lived. So, At, at, at that time, it was so different. At that time, you had to run away from the world to be able to live with truth. The world, when they saw that you were a representative of truth, 
would try to eliminate those truth people. There we were, you know, in every generation, sitting quietly, living our lives, not bothering anybody. We weren't out on the streets doing the same. We were not bothering anybody. And everywhere we went, we added to the economy. We made the country thrive because we were there. And quietly sitting in our little corner, not asking for anything, not not bothering anybody. But they couldn't stand having such truth in their world. Their world was so corrupt and so based on untruth that they, the world kept um, expelling us. The world was so bad and so steeped in lies and so based, the whole, everything was so built on Sheker, Alma de Shikra, that from time to time they would just have to throw us out again because the world just couldn't tolerate such powerful goodness and such powerful truth. So that every, every few years they would find another reason to throw us out. It's like we were ejected. We were saying the other day that what seems to be going on on the streets today is that from the, this is another concept, but I'm, I'm saying from the moment of, of Shavuos on when the, the, all of this chaos started on the streets, just like it did in 1171, right after Shavuos, boom, which means probably today will probably be a significant day for whatever is going on in the world to uh, have an upgrade. Because today's a day of great truth. So we were saying that it looks like the world, if the world was so quiet for two and a half months, really getting better and better morally, spiritually, families, this, that, unity, beautiful, and then Shavuot came, Matan Torah came, a deeper light of Torah came down into the world, and the world is not the world is struggling to be a vessel for it. And I was saying that it's like when you go to the airport and they tell you your suitcase won't fit on the plane. So you open it up and start throwing out bottles of shampoo and all the, he- the heavy stuff. And the airport is littered with everybody's... Imagine that everybody who comes to the airport, they're told, we just changed the regulation. Your suitcase cannot be 50 pounds. It can only be 20 pounds. And everybody came with 52-pound suitcases. So everybody at the airport, imagine the airport is packed with hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands, who knows what, and everybody has a suitcase that won't fit onto the plane. So everybody is told, okay, just, you can't even pay. It's not like you can pay overweight. So everybody starts opening their suitcase, and you can imagine what it looks like when a few thousand people open their suitcase and start throwing out all their bottles of shampoo and all their extra heavy junk and it's strewn, and there's no place to put it. So it's, the whole airport is chaotic, strewn with people throwing things and stuff all over. Why? For the purpose of getting your suitcase to fit in the airport, fit in the airplane. We're now in a moment when after a great light of Mount came down, the world seems to be struggling to throw out all the old junk so that the vessel of the world can fit with the new light that came down on sh- at the moment of Matan two weeks ago. So, what does this have to do with Chav 
and our approach to Chavsivan, the Chabad approach to Chavsivan, in those days in 1171, as I said, the world would, from time to time, just open up the suitcase, kind of, and start throwing, throwing Yidden, open up their countries, their borders, and start throwing us out. We could only be in, a, in any given country for so long, and then they would throw us out, and throw us out again, and throw us out again, and throw us out again. They would just, we, we, we were wandering all the time. They would say, you've been here long enough, you no longer b- belong here, we need to get rid of some of the old junk in the country, you're the old junk, out. And it would happen to us, we were always the old, we were always the too heavy stuff in the country that just got too heavy for the country and we needed to be out. And the leaders of the country all knew that it was the craziest thing to get rid of us. You know, I'm making, I'm speaking about horrific torture, you know, so lightly. I, it, it's not nice to talk like this. But the interesting thing is that we know that the real heads of the country knew that once they throw out the Jews, their whole country collapses economically. They knew that. But they had a lot of pressure from the church and from the mobs. There was a lot of political pressure. And probably each one of those countries collapsed after we left, and they knew it. But they really, there wasn't much that they could do. And they weren't particularly smart, so they didn't think ahead too much. So they opened up the suitcase and threw out all the, all the stuff. So... That was the way. And therefore, we respond to the same way. Just get away from them. Stay away from them. Stay away from the world. Don't have anything to do with the world. Go away. They're going to throw you out. They're going to see their world of lies can sustain you for a certain amount of time, and eventually you become too heavy for them. You know, many of us who are sensitive souls who can see deeply into things and have a lot of important truths to say, let's just say that you're a very deep thinker and um, you go to a party where everybody just wants to chat about which car they're going to buy. Nobody's going to want to talk to you, quite honestly. You know, you're just, you say, oh, did anybody learn the Parsha? And they're just, they look at you, it just falls flat. And then they go back to talking about cars or nail polish or whatever, because you're too heavy for them. I remember years ago being at a bar mitzvah on a Shabbos afternoon. And for me, it was just it was the most awful experience. Everybody was talking about, it. we were sitting, the Shabbos, and everybody was talking about their diets. It was a Shabbos Suda. Everybody was talking about their diets. And they were saying, can you, can you eat, um, what were they saying? Can you eat a donut, only half a donut, and forget to eat the other half? And they say, you kidding? I, could, I would never forget to eat the other half of the donut. And it became a whole long discussion, if you could. And they say, my husband can eat a half a donut and forget to finish it. And it became like an hour discussion. And then they went into bungalows. What do you do? How do you close up your bungalow at the end of the summer? Oh, well, we turn off the gas, and then we turn off the water, and then, and then a whole discussion on Shabbos about, you know, the bungalows, about what, what you do, do you leave the water on, but then the pipes freeze, and blah, 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 blah. And I was sitting there kind of feeling like um, heavy distress. <laughs> I didn't really sit there, but I sat quietly. 
And then all of a sudden, somebody new came in, a friend of mine, who was also invited, but she came after this whole long bungalow donut hour-long conversation. And she sat down and said, oh, good job. And she said, did anybody read the chitas of today? It's so fascinating. And they looked at her like she was from Mars. And I thought, oh, thank God. <laughs> they looked at her like she was from Mars, like, you're too heavy for this place. What are you doing here? Go home. Eat your meal at home. And I thought, ah, oh, there's some air over here. So that's the way, I'm making it sound funny. It's not, it's not funny when it happened to us in Jewish history. But the nations of the world, every once in a while, would say, you guys are too heavy for us. You and your truth, your deep truth, and serving God, your, you and your deep truth. We want to live in the world of lies. Go away. And every once in a while, it would just become so heavy for them that the heaviness of truth contrasting their world of lies just got too much and they would say out we are at that moment again but they're not saying it to us they're saying it to each other which is a miracle of a miracle of a miracle this was probably you know probably partly in the of Rabbi Marla and probably you know with the help of the Rambam was right in the center of this, just in another part of the world. And Rashi, who, who, who looked into this, here we are at a moment when same day, right after Shavuot, it starts. And they're talking about truth and not truth and justice and all this stuff. And they're not thinking about us. They're struggling with it from within themselves, which is so guladik. They're fighting with each other about what is truth, what is not truth. Like when we came out of Mitzrayim, Lamak Mitzrayim B'Tcharehem, that the Mitzrayim defeated each other because they needed truth. So this is all, this is all what Chafsivan is representing. Okay, so... And as the Rebbe is saying, this is like the Mila of, of oh, this, oops, sorry, squirrels, a whole group of squirrels came to us, look for trees. This is like the Mila of, of, um, of the Avaida of Tshuva over the Avaida of Tzadikim. So, what is Malchus Poland? We're saying that where is Chafsivan? It's interesting that the blood libel did not happen in Poland, it happened in France. So I'm not sure why the countries of Poland, the Polish communities, are the ones that, um, that fast. I'm not quite sure. But this is, this is what the Magin of Ram says. So, sorry. So here's the thing about Poland, because it's, it's an unbelievable thing. I'm sorry, the last thing, the last thing I wanted to say just to bring it together is now we no longer have to run away from the world. Now we have to run, just, now we no longer have to say, or should say, let's just be left to ourselves and be left quietly. Thank God we are being left quietly, except in L.A. But in New York we were left quietly. The focus is on someone else. When they're thinking about truth. Isn't that interesting? We were always the representatives of the truth, and they didn't like it. And now... 
it's gone deeper. They have to deal with it with themselves. So now we run into the world because we have the power now to lift up the world. We don't have to run away from it anymore. And it looks like the safer, the more we run into the world and become leaders of the world, the safer we are. Now it's the absolute opposite. It used to be that we just knew we don't want them to think about us. We need to stay away from them because they're going through their own conflicts. Now we need to go to them and help them with their conflict. We whom they didn't want to hear from because we represent truth, they now want to think about truth. And who's going to be able to guide them other than those who have kept the Torah all these years? We are the teachers that they're asking for. They want guidance from us. So, let's look into what it says here, Malchus Poland. If it's it's celebrated in Poland, it's known that when the first Yidden came to live in Poland, they said, ah, Poland, Poland. I don't know when the first Jews came to Poland. I would actually like to know. Um, oh, Safer my marm. No, it doesn't say. I have to look it up. Maybe it was a couple of hundred years before. I'm not sure. But it was a long time. When the first Yidden came to Poland, they said, Poland, Poland. This is amazing. This is the place where we can say, Poland. Here we stay, here we lie down. What do you mean lie down? Here we sleep. Here we stay overnight. We have a resting place. We can settle down. We've been wandering. They, they, they threw us out of Spain in 1492. They threw us out of here, out there. We now have a place to go. It was probably after 1492 that Yidden started to come to Poland, probably. And they said, ah, we found a place to settle our feet down, we're safe. We have a place in Gullis. And that's the real reason, the true reason, why the country is called Polin. Because its mazel feels what its shluchus is. It was created to be a resting place for the Yidden, the ambassadors of truth, throughout Gullis. So what is this? So we felt, great, we have a resting place. And we did until 1939. And then we didn't anymore. Very badly didn't anymore. But we had it for a few, a few number of, a few hundred years. Maybe, yeah, with several hundred years, we had a resting place. So what is this idea of Lena, Pauline, lying down? I mean, sleeping. You sleep at night. You know, we're not talking about naps. You sleep at night. Where do you sleep? In a motel, you know, in your home or in a hotel. So the type of Pauline, uh, living in a certain place means it's only an overnight type of thing. It's a motel. It's a hotel. In Gullis, this is a temporary place. We have a place to, to live, but this isn't our temporary place. We are here in a... In a very, this isn't a permanent place. This isn't where we're moving in permanently. But this is a good place to stop for a few hundred years and settle ourselves in, but we know we're going to have to leave at some point. Until we come to the true place, but still, it's in a way of lean. Hagam that 
even though we're still in Gullus, Hashem helps, and He gives us a place to rest temporarily. So we, although we're you know we're the wandering Jews, but He gave us He gave us places where we would could stop wandering for certain periods of time, settle in, create what we created by being settled, and then boom out again to the next place to elevate that. And with horrific Kiddush Hashem, horrific, horrific Kiddush Hashem involved in this. We, it's like we pop into the world, settle in, pop out, pop in, pop out, pop in, pop out. Only now we're here to stay forever because we're going to make our job is Machda Eretz Yisrael. We'll see in a minute as it's brought out. But, but, so this idea of Polin here is a resting place overnight in Gullus. We've got a good place to stay and to settle in temporarily until we have to go to the next place. And in the good years in Poland, the Yidden really lived there, the Menucha. The Yidden really lived there in a lot of peace in the years of Poland. Let's see what it says in the footnotes. The Ramah says, Adif tape pas chariba v'shalbun bedinus elu asher ein shin... Okay, it seems like it seems like one of the best resting places that we had in Gullus was Poland. Poland. It was one of the best resting places. It was the representative of in, there's the Sephardi one in Spain, in the southern countries, and there's the Ashkenazi one. So what are, our new representative of where we can stay in Gullus is the United States of America. But at that point, Paul Lin represents the Ashkenazic resting place in Gullus. Before that, we had Bavel, etc. The Ashkenazic resting place is Paul Lin. And, the, and how good was it? It was actually very good, when it was good. And in cer- certain places, um, we sat there in peace, and what happened is, the, they gave us a pretty exalted position while we were there. While we had this overnight resting place, they, it was very good. They treated us very well. We know that some of the Sarihim and Shala, the heads of the government, would give their money to the Jewish people, they knew, they, the problem with the government in Poland was that um, the people in charge would, were alcoholics. That was just the way they did it. They were basically alcoholics. And they knew that they weren't going to take care of their money responsibly. And they knew that Yidden were not, Jews were not alcoholics. So every parrot, every big guy who had money would get himself a Jew who would run his business affairs responsibly. Everyone, they prided themselves. And they would always call their token Jew who ran their business affairs, their money, their finances, they would call him Mushka. They'd say, oh, how's your Mushka? Yeah, my Mushka, he, he made me this much money this year. My Mushka, he did. Mushka, 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 Ke. You know, you know, endearing name for Mushka. Every, every non-Jew, wealthy non-Jew had a Mushka. The Gaim called the non-Jews called us Mushka. 
why did they call us Mushka? Why didn't they call us Yankel? Or why, what, why did they call us Mushka? Because their model saw that every Jew is a Meishrabenu. Every Jew has the spark of Meishrabenu in him, as it says in Tanya, and their model felt it. So they always would refer to their token Jew as Mushka. There are many Jewish names. They all had themselves a Mushka, a small Meishrabenu who took care of the world for them while they got drunk, etc. And they gave us the ability to run the affairs. And the way the Yidden ran the affairs was very good. They did it in a way that was good. And in Yanim Taibim, the Kedashim Lisi Daitam, the Bnei Yisrael They used their Jewish, their Torah um, process of making decisions that were good and holy. In a way of Ladaitacha from within themselves. The Yidden were dealing with the mundane world, some guy's money. The Yidden were not, I doubt that they were paid very well, but this was their job. They were the public, the, the, the accountants for all of the heads of state. And they managed the money very honestly and very well. And so, um, which is the opposite of what, and, and it's interesting, the Nitzaltimus Mitzrayim, it's the opposite of wh- the way those people, the non-Jews, used the money when it was in their hands. What would happen is, I guess, they would get drunk and then they would spend their money wantonly and, and make big mistakes and then become sober again and wonder where all their money went to and hate themselves and beat up their wives or whatever they did. And they didn't know what to do. So they knew, okay, let's get some honest Jew, which wasn't hard to find, and let's get him to take care of my money. They seem to all be smart, and I'll pay him a small salary, and uh, I'll become wealthier, and I'll pay him a little more after I become wealthier. And so it works. So effectively, the Yidden were running the country. That's how deeply, that's how deeply good that resting, that temporary resting place in Poland was until it was time to leave, and then it, it was the Holocaust. And it wasn't, it was, no one would have believed that it could have gone from that to that, especially the whole country prospered for a few hundred years because of the Jews. And then one thing to throw people out of a country, it's another thing to do a Holocaust. There's no, okay. So now, this is a, a remez for us in the Vais Hashem. So, sorry, so the Chabad Rebbeim take the advantage, they're taking the whole concept of what Chatsivan is, the ability to live Kiddush Hashem, with all of this in mind, that you're always there as a temporary resident with a green card, a temporary visa, wherever you are, until you finally have, made, have gone to Eretz Yisrael and made the whole world into Eretz Yisrael. And now it's a, a permanent resting place for everybody. So, this is a remez in Avedis Hashem, because we have to take out a hurrah from, of, from everything that we hear. The Cholorosh, a yid has to know that Golis is darkness, it's nighttime. And it's only a place that we stay temporarily. 
It's not our true place. Gullus is our, not our true place. It's our temporary resting place. It can be an amazing temporary resting place, but in the end, it's not our true place. It's not where you put down your roots, you put down temporary roots. And together with this, we have to know that we have to use this out, that Pauline, we have to use out the concept of Pauline in a positive way. For Kedusha. That's what they did. They were living in Pauline. We're here temporarily, overnight, because it's Gullus. But they used it out for Kedusha for themselves. They didn't use it out for Kedusha for themselves and for the whole country. And that's what we have to do while we're in Gullus. To the extent that the Eden, the Eden, as dem it, this as dem Eden vert lo ibri laila ela legirsa. What is the nighttime for? So again, if we're only here overnight, but what is nighttime for? Night is gullus, but what is the nighttime for? For learning Kaira. So what do we do? When we're in these temporary resting places, we use out the manucha of that place to add in Lima de Tyra, including also in the country of Poland, literally. So that there should be what you need for a Jewish life and a Moira Derech, etc. And those who were involved in Divas Velnzich, Freneman Mid Machesein, and bringing people to Tshuva, people who are living there to Tshuva. So all of this is even more emphasized in this generation because um, we're in the last seconds of Gullus and we have the kaiches of everything that was done, all the Kiddush Hashem, all of the us being the representatives of truth in a world of untruth, it's all sitting kind of on our shoulders and um, we have the kindling, it is Parshas, it is Parshas Baalaisha about lighting the Menaira. And the Menaira in the base of Migdash sent out light to the whole world. And we are the Menaira. And we, having been the Menaira all through history, it wasn't exactly appreciated. You know, you're, yeah, you're here to light up the whole world. Go away. Now they want our light. Now the fact that it's Baalaisha Thaneris, now the fact that we are here to illuminate the world, it's now the time, and they want our light. We have the kayach to do, but we have to do it in the right way, as we said in the other shiurim of this week, in a way that we illuminate each person in the world. Every person that we come into contact with in the world, in a way that we illuminate their inner spark, so that they become a luminous flame in themselves and become independently luminous. So it has to be done properly. It has to be done well, not just telling them, okay, you didn't like us, and we stood for truth, and now, you're, now you better listen to us. No, 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 no. <laughs> God forbid. We have to be the bastions of truth in a very skilled way, of knowing how to touch each person's soul in a way that they, be, they are affected by it, and they feel their own light, and then they start to go with that light. And then they will fill the world with light. We no longer have to be the representatives of truth. The world is ready to produce its own ambassadors of truth if we guide them properly. And they're really willing to stand up and explore what is really truth. 
They will, they are. Not everybody. You have half the population that's just totally hypnotized in the world of lies. Excuse me, of the world of lies, and the other half of the population that's really looking for truth. And then when they're looking for truth, we need to be standing there when they say, "Wait, oh, wait a minute, aren't you the people that we threw out of our countries from time immemorial because you represented truth?" Oh, we're so sorry. Of course, when, do you understand? In other words, you have this thing going on now where certain kind of people <clears throat> are getting down on their knees and that, and bowing to another kind of uh, person. Um, so we're saying when they turn around and they look around, they say, "Oh wait, oh, we're saying we're uh, sorry, we're going back to this." You have one kind of people bowing to another kind of people and saying, we're so sorry. Please forgive us. They have the right idea, but they got the wrong people. You know, and you have some people saying, we're part of those people that you're bowing to. Why are you bowing to us? You didn't do anything to us. But they do owe us an apology, quite honestly, because we stood up for truth. We were the bastions of truth all through the generations, and they kept saying, we don't want to hear truth. So, but Hashem will take care of them and their apology. Um, it says, I, I think that Asaph has to come and say, you know, we're so sheker in Hulano of Asenu. Anyway, Hashem will take care of it. But really, so now that some of the people in the world are really looking for truth, they're going to look around and realize, oh, wait, you're the people that we threw out of our country generation after generation because you stood for truth. Oh, well, now we're interested in truth. Could you tell us truth? So that's the difference in this generation. We need to stand into our full strength of being the Manaira, being the bastions of light and truth, the representatives of life and truth, light and truth. And we need to do it very, very quickly. And Adaraba, um, and especially the, the one who's leading it is Aaron the Aaron of our generation. He shows us the goalie, his in a revealed way, his love to all Yidden. Ayavis Abrizim Akarvin Latira. Love the creations and bring them close to Tyra. The time has come now for us to bring the creations, and especially the truth seekers, to Tyra. Um, especially, okay. And so therefore, let's bench each other that in the midst of what seems like this chaos, where the world seems to be struggling to come to understand truth, our job is to be those representatives of truth, to shine the light, to first of all make the whole world into a base and dish, as was said. We spent these weeks quarantining, and we became each home became a piece of the base and dish, and here it is spread out over, over the whole world. And we need to be those manairas that shine from inside the base and dish out into the world, and shine that light, the light of truth, so that we find ourselves in the true Ilama Emes in this world alive, healthy, forever, all of us, all Yidden, and especially in the merit of Rabbi Kalman Yehuda Marla, Allah Shalom, we should find ourselves in the base of the Shashlishi, seeing the Manaira lit, lit, and it should be immediately now. Amen.